couple months ago, this was back during football season. That's going to be relevant here in a second. I was over at Harding University in Searcy. And I was with a gathering of preachers, ministers. They called this group together. And late one evening, we had done all of our classes together, all of our conversations, and they took us over to the, the Harding University has this huge indoor practice facility for their football team. I mean, it's gigantic. In fact, it is one of the biggest in the country. You want to know how I know that? Because they told us multiple times. All right. Hey, this is one of the biggest in the country. I don't know. Yeah. But it is. It's really impressive. It's great. And so um, Coach Paul Simmons is the coach there. And some of you are going to know that name. If you're connected to Harding, you obviously know it. But he was also here at Highland years ago and coached here in town. So he's got connections to this church. So this was as they were making their playoff run. And ultimately, they won the Division II National Championship. But as I remember, this was, I think, just before the semifinal game. So they bring all these preachers in there, and they give us a bunch of footballs, and we're like reliving our glory days of high school here in this practice facility. And then they bring out this huge meal. They set out these tables, this huge buffet, and they send us all through the line, and we all sit down and begin to eat. And then Coach Paul Simmons comes in to talk to us. And he's going to talk to us not just about how successful the football team is, but what's more important to him is the culture of discipleship on this team. And so he's going to talk to us about a culture of discipleship. And he starts, this is what he says, I'll never forget. He says, he comes to mind, he's looking at all of us while we're eating, remember. He says, first thing I want to say is, if my boys were here, none of them would be eating right now. Because leaders eat last. He said, and we're all like, oh, right. Yep. Leaders eat last. I'll never forget. He's just like, oh, goodness, he got us. Leaders eat last. And uh, I love that line. That, that actually comes from a book by a guy named Simon Sinek. It's a book by that name, Leaders Eat Last. Anybody ever seen that book before? Yeah. The title for that book came from a conversation that Sinek was having with Marines in the military. And he was asking this group of Marines who he was with, what makes Marines different? And one of the guys spoke up and he said, it's simple. He said, officers eat last. Officers eat last. And now it turns out that's actually a, a theme in other branches of the military. It's not just the Marines. But Sinek was so struck by that and by his experience among the military. And this is what he said. Listen to this. In the military, they give medals to people who are willing to sacrifice themselves so that others may gain. And in business, we give bonuses to people who are willing to sacrifice others so that we may gain. All right, let's pray. I'll send you home. How about that? Okay, what's he saying? The idea leaders eat last feels right to our hearts, doesn't it? And yet we look around in the rest of the world, and in nearly every other place, the opposite is true. Leaders eat first. Okay. Take care of themselves first. So why is it that I have an imprint on my heart of something that doesn't match with what the world says? Okay, that's what I want to pay attention to. Why do I have that imprint on my heart? Here's my theory. If ever I have an imprint on my heart that doesn't match the world's, probably it's from the one who made me. It's probably from Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. We're, I challenge you all this year to memorize five verses of Scripture. So let's go to Mark 10, 45. It's one of the passages you all and me, are working to memorize this year. It's Mark 10, 45. Look what it says about Jesus. For even the Son of Man did not come <clears throat> to be served, but what? To serve. 
So even the Son of Man, even the one Lord over all things, even the Master, the King over all things, didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then look, it takes another step down and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let me show you this pattern that we're going to see in the rest of the passages we look at this morning. But it is so critical for us to see this about Jesus before we would apply it to our own lives. Here's the pattern. Jesus is redefining what greatness is. What's great is to go from that position to the position of a servant. And even to serve to the point where you might suffer for that decision. So let me go to the next slide. Let me show you this in the verse. What's great, the Son of Man chooses not to be served, but what? To serve. And then it takes this next step that we really don't like if we're in that position. Not only is he choosing to serve, but he's choosing to serve to the point that it's going to cost him his life. He's going to suffer for this. So look at the verse right before this. Let me, let me show you that there. This is the verses right before Mark 10, 45. So 43 and 44. Look at this. He says, in the rest of the world, leaders eat first. They dominate over the people that they serve or that they rule over. But he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, there's that word, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For me, it's helpful to like write these things out so I see the difference here. So let me just show you. Here's what the world says greatness looks like. The world says to be great is to get yourself, work your way up, upward mobility, to work yourself up to the point where you are being served so that what? You never suffer. You don't have to do the hard stuff, okay? You don't have to work on holidays, right? You're working yourself up to the point where you never suffer. That's what the world says. Has anybody ever seen Downton Abbey? Okay, apparently not. All right, I was into that. Well, the Downton Abbey is about the people who live upstairs and the people that live downstairs. The people that live downstairs serve the people that live upstairs. And the idea is if you have somebody else who's preparing everything else in your life, taking care of you, you're never going to suffer. Turns out that's a lie. Okay, that's a lie. All right, the world says what's great is to be served so that you never suffer. And Jesus says, no, real greatness is to serve even to the point where you suffer. Is real greatness. All right. So pause here. Here's what I want to say. Jesus doesn't just say this. Jesus lives this out. So he's not somebody who's not practicing what he's preaching. There's not a person that comes to Jesus in his life and ministry that he does not stop, no matter the inconvenience, no matter the hassle, no matter the burden. He stops for every single one of them to serve him and help him. And he does that to the point where the Son of Man, Lord over all things, is going to put even you and me above himself by dying for us. He's going to serve everybody, even you and me, to the point where it is going to cost him his life. One of my favorite stories of Jesus serving is the washing of the disciples' feet. You remember this story? All right. Let me tell you this story. Back in the day, when you were walking around the dusty deserts of the Middle East, Okay. and you wore sandals, your feet got really dirty as you were walking. So it was really common as you walked into a home, there would be a bowl of water near the doorway where you would stop and wash your own feet. But rarely, occasionally, if you really wanted to honor somebody, you would get down on your hands and knees and you would wash their gross feet. 
So in this story, Jesus, son of man, Lord of all, gets down on his hands and knees and washes his disciples' gross feet. And Peter's like, no, you're not doing me. You are not doing me. And he says, it must be this way. Look what Jesus says after he finishes. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. How many of you have ever gone to like a youth retreat where they wash feet? Have ever done that? Donnie, have we ever done that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've done it. Every youth group has. I worked at this as a counselor at a camp one summer. And at the end of the week of camp, we would, the counselors would wash the kids' feet. I hated it. So gross. Most of them haven't showered all week. And feet, I'm telling you, feet are gross now. They were probably just as gross back then. That would be my guess. Feet have always been gross, right? What's he saying? You should do the thing you don't want to do so that you can put somebody else above yourself. That's what you should do. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you've heard this story. It's of this guy. He's walking along on a road. Some bad guys jump him. They beat him up. They leave him for dead. And then a couple other guys come across this guy, and they see him. And they're like, man, that guy's in trouble, but I've really got to get to a meeting. You know, I'm running late already. Surely somebody else is going to help this guy. And sure enough, somebody else comes by, and a Samaritan, and he helps the guy. And at great cost and labor to himself, he serves this guy he doesn't know. And you remember how this story ends? Really simple words here. Jesus says this, Luke 10, 37, go and do likewise. You should go and do that. Okay, so the reason we serve as Christians is because he serves and because he tells us to. Okay. The reason we serve is because who he is is a servant and because that's who he wants us to be. It's really simple. All right, here's what I think, though. I think there are two things that get in the way of us serving. And I don't think we're going to be the servants he wants us to be until we deal with these two things or until, uh, maybe more practically, we let him deal with them. Here's the two things that I, I think keep us from serving. Pride and fear. Pride and fear. This is how pride shows up, all right? You see an opportunity to serve, and suddenly there are two words in your mind. You don't even know where those two words came from. They just pop up into your mind, and the two words are, not me, not me. Have you ever thought those two words, somebody needs help around you, and the first two words that come up into your mind is, somebody else can do this, right? Have you ever thought that? Everybody's like looking down, like, mm, no, no. Okay, it's just me. I'm the only one who's ever dealt with that. Okay, what we would say that is, is that's pride. Pride is that feeling inside of me that I'm too good for this. This is for somebody else. This isn't a job for me. Well, listen to what we read in 1 John 2, 16. I think we got a, maybe a typo on the verse here. This is 1 John 2, 16. Look at this. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. What's he saying? When you run into that spirit of pride in your own life and in your own heart, it is not coming from the Lord. It's coming from the world. Like the world wants to condition us to view humility as a problem and pride as a virtue. And Jesus says it's the exact opposite. The exact opposite. So look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Remember, if greatness for Jesus is to serve and to suffer... 
Look what we read about Jesus and your relationships with one another. You should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, look at this. He made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What's he saying? Humility is not something you have, it's something you choose. Humility is, let me say it again, not something you have, it's something you choose. And I think if you were to go to the doctor, can you imagine this? You go to the doctor and you're like, listen, doc, um, I'm so proud. The doctor would probably be like, that's great. That's great. You should love yourself. If you went to the doctor and you said, I'm so proud, and the doctor's Jesus, what he would prescribe you is, okay, you should go serve somebody. You should go serve somebody. You should make yourself nothing for somebody else, and the humility you desire will become yours. Humility is not something you have. It's something you choose. Service fights the pride in our hearts. All right, the second thing is fear. Richard Foster says, if we get past the pride that keeps us from wanting to serve other people, the other thing that comes up is fear. What he means by that is when I think about letting down my walls, making myself vulnerable to help somebody else, I could get taken advantage of. And just think, I mean, that's practically true. Uh, If I give up my power, if I give up my rights and privileges, and I give those to somebody else, somebody else can turn around with that power and step on me, and I might suffer. Okay, so again, this is where the message of the world differs from the message of Jesus, because the message of the world is protect yourself at all costs, and do not put yourself in a situation where somebody else could hurt you. And I understand that. I think about a video we showed a couple years ago. One of our values here is foster care and adoption. And a couple years ago, we showed a video of this young couple. You may remember this. And they were fostering a young girl. And I think in total, she was with them about 18 months. I think we shot this around the one-year mark when it wasn't clear what was going to happen with this little girl. And of course, as happens with every family that does this, they fall in love with this little girl. And their hearts, you know, are just kind of exploding for her. They want what's best for her. They want to give her this great life. But also they're working with her family to help her family get back on their feet. And ultimately, this little girl goes back to her family. And I'll never forget in the video, while that girl was still with her, they said, I'll never forget this. They said, listen, we don't know what's going to happen. And we know what we want to happen. But God has not called us to be successful. He's called us to be faithful. He's not called us to be successful. He's called us to be faithful. Sure enough, when that girl went back to her family, it gutted them. It was really hard. They suffered through that. But they believed that was the calling. If you were going to put yourself in a position of service where you are out of control, then you have to trust in his outcomes. And that is an antidote to fear. Let me show you this. Let me show you this here in uh, 1 Peter 4.10. I want you to see this. Look at this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Okay, How? As faithful stewards of God's grace. So if you have a gift, he's given it to you for the purpose of serving other people. All right, look at this. And you should do so 
with the strength God provides. All right, so remember we said the pattern is this. What's great is to serve even to the point of suffering. Okay, so you see the first two there in those lines. Look at the very next verses in 1 Peter. So what he just showed you is it's great to use your gift to serve. Now look at the very next verse. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you after your service as though something strange was happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Okay, pay attention to what he's saying. I'm going to show you what this looks like. He says, this is possible. Joy in suffering is possible. Because you know what follows is overjoy in the glory God has for you. You see that? I mean, think about the happiest people you know. The happiest people, most joyful people you know, are not the people you know who have never been through anything in their life. Okay, the happiest, the most joyful people you know are the people who have hit walls and passed through them to the other side, aren't they? Those are the people who know real joy. And that's what he's saying. What is possible for you is actually joy in the suffering that might come your way when you, when you choose to serve. Because you know that even greater joy is coming for you and the glory the Father has. So let's add these up. I want you to see what the real pattern, the gospel pattern looks like. This is the pattern. What's great is that you would choose to serve like Christ, even to the point where you may suffer like Christ because on the other side or through that suffering, great joy is on offer to you and ultimately the greatest glory. Paul Miller, he says, this looks like a J. I, I want you to see this J, and maybe if you're not going to remember anything else, remember this. He says, life is going good, and then you choose to serve somebody. And that's a descent. That's heading downward. Okay, You're giving up rights and privileges. And then in choosing to serve somebody, let's go to the next one, yeah, you may suffer as a result of that choice. Let's go to the next one. So things are going good. You choose to descend. You choose to serve, to give up your rights. And that may lead to you getting stepped on, but what is promised is through that suffering, the joy that only Christ can give and nothing else in the world can offer. And if you can pass through that, what comes ahead promised for you is greater joy and glory. You see that? I mean, this is the gospel right here. It's life, death, resurrection. That's it. That's the pattern of everything in our lives. Often the pattern of things we pray for. How often when we pray for something, does it get worse before it gets better? You know what I'm talking about? This is the way that the Lord works in our life. So of course, it is the way the Lord works and those who would choose to serve like his son Jesus serves. So Peter goes on, he says this, so therefore humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, in his time. All right. So how do we serve? How do we serve? Well, Scripture thinks about service in two arenas. There is, and there's two kind of key words. There's the service of one another and the service of others. One another is talking about serving in the body of Christ, serving one another here in this place as a group. And service of others is talking about service outside. So let's throw up this next slide. Here it is. Yeah. We think about those as two arenas, but I'm pretty convinced the scripture sees these not as two separate arenas, but as a preparing ground, service of the church, preparing you to serve in the world. So I think about this the other night. Our kids and our children's ministry packed these bags full of deodorant and soap and toothpaste and toothbrushes, these little Ziploc bags, and took them and put them in their parents' car 
so that when they're driving along the road and they come to somebody at a stoplight who's homeless, they have something to give them, right? Okay, so what are they doing? They're serving here so that they're equipped and they recognize and they look for opportunities to do what? Serve there. I think that's how Scripture pictures it. So how do we, oh, and let me throw this up on the screen. I think we got a QR code. We got that for us? Yeah. We recently went through and we came up a list with a list of things we need help with at Highland, ways that you can serve here at Highland. And so if you got your phone, you want to get that out and take a picture of it. If you don't, everybody will know it's because you don't like serving. <laughs> Just messing with you. But we got a bunch of ways that you can serve here at Highland and would love for you to plug in, ultimately because that equips us to better serve out there. All right. Whew. I got about a page left and we're not going to get to it all. Richard Foster in his book on service has this list. I want to I show you this list so that it might jog your memory about ways and arenas in which you might serve. He goes through scripture and he looks at all the examples or types of service in scripture and he comes up with this list. I just want to share with you. Look at it. He says there's the service of hiddenness. Those are the things you do that nobody else sees. The service of hiddenness like you know, giving somebody a gift card when they just had a baby or something like that, or showing up to babysit would be another example. Nobody knows about that, and when you do it, you don't call the church and ask us to put it in the bulletin. All right, it's, this, it's the service of, of hiddenness, which leads to what he calls the service of small things. And he gets this from Tabitha. Tabitha is this woman in Acts 9. She dies, and everybody shows up to grieve her. Now, her story gets even better after that, but everybody shows up to grieve her, and there's all these widows there, and they look around, and they're like, oh, that's a nice blouse you're wearing. Where'd you get that? And they're like, well, Tabitha made this for me. And the other one's like, well, Tabitha made mine too. And apparently, Tabitha had this ministry of weaving clothes for widows that nobody knew about until she died. Service of small things. He talks about the service of guarding the reputation of others. How many times are you around, I don't know, the water cooler, People are talking about somebody else, and you say, hey, let's not talk about them. The service of guarding the reputation of others. The service of being served. I think this is one of the things that Highlanders probably struggle with the most, is letting somebody take care of us when we need help. It's hard. It's really hard. The service of common courtesy. How do you treat the person checking you out at the grocery store? How do you treat the waiter? You treat them with respect and dignity, the service of common courtesy. The service of hospitality, do you receive people? Do you welcome them into your life and home? I came across in Colossians 4, a woman named Nympha. Nympha, anybody remember Nympha? She's another woman who hosted the church in her house. I want to write a book about all the women who hosted the church in their house and made the early church possible. That'd be a good book. Maybe a woman should write that book, I don't know. The service of listening. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. The service of bearing burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, if you carry each other's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. It leads to the last one, sharing the service of sharing a word of life, or the word of life, pointing somebody to God's word. Okay. I just wanted you to see those, to think about services more than like um, going to the Salvation Army and volunteering your hours. It's something that you can do every day. You've got chances like this. All right. Um, one of the joys of my job is that I get to see people serving. Uh, Jim Martin, one of my mentors, he says, you get to catch people doing what's right. I mean, your parents know you're like looking to catch them when they're doing wrong. And he says, you get to catch people doing what's right. And I love that. I'll tell you a couple stories. Tim and Krista Curtis, this young couple, they come 
every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, and they make sure that our kids' check-in system is working so you can check your kids in for nursery and drop them off. Um, we got a security team. You, don't, you probably don't even know who these guys are, but they walk around with earpieces. My kids think they're like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. They think these guys are so cool. But they come around, you don't think anything about them, but aren't you glad they're here, right, making sure that we're safe and okay. Or we got a guy named Bob Ellis. He comes every Thursday, and he sets up all the coffee at the coffee station that you come and drink. And we got a guy named Mike Whiteside who makes all that coffee for you to drink. And then we got a woman named Marva Johnson who every Sunday for over a decade has brought cookies and put them out there by the coffee station. Did you know the church does not buy those cookies? We don't have a cookie budget here. Marva Johnson has bought the cookies and provided them for over 10 years here for the Highland Church. Can you imagine how much she spent on cookies? Think about that. There's a guy here, he's probably in his 60s. He had a brother here who's also about that age, and he needed to have this medical procedure out of state. It was going to take about a week to go do this. Didn't have anybody to take him. And so this guy took off his job a week of work and drove this guy to North Carolina and stayed with him and waited on him for a week and brought him back. And I didn't even know about it until about a year later. Somebody let it slip. Totally hidden. Now, when you hear those stories, don't you think to yourself, man, that sounds good. That sounds right. Why? Jesus is why. If you were going to ask me what Christians do, I'd tell you Christians serve. And if you were going to ask me why, I'd say it's because of him. It's because of Jesus. Let me pray a prayer blessing over you that God would make us his servants this week. Lord, I thank you. You have gathered your people here in this place. Would you make us to be more like you? more like you in how we serve and treat others, willing to sacrifice ourselves, even to suffer if it means others would be blessed and you would be glorified. May that be true in our lives, Lord. Make us servants. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.